Not being able to travel because of the pandemic is really hard on all of us who love travel. Imagine what it's like, though, when your livelihood depends on travel. I'm Courtney Drake McDonough, your host for the Real Food Traveler podcast and publisher of realfoodtraveler.com, a digital culinary travel magazine. I have the great pleasure of having two guests today, writers Carol Jacobs and Irvina Liu, both of whom write for Real Food Traveler, but they have long and amazing careers writing about food, travel, and other topics. Ladies, I'm so happy to have you joining me today. Nice to be with you. Nice to be with you. Yeah, the funny thing is that I have never met you both in person, and this we're doing this via Zoom, and it's the first time I can see your faces <laughs> beyond the pictures that we have of you on the website. So, But we communicate all the time, and so I, I feel like I know you both really well, and I consider you both friends. So this is fun to be able to do this podcast this way. I agree. It's really fun. So, Irvine, I'm going to have you start to introduce yourself and tell us where you live and and a little bit about your career. Well, I I live on Long Island where it's snowing today. It's about, well, it used to be an hour from New York City, but that was before more traffic. (laughs) (laughs) It takes longer. Um, But I'm about 45 miles outside of New York City. So I live uh, within equal distance to the Hamptons to Fire Island, which is perhaps my favorite travel destination in the world, and JFK and New York City. So it's, it's, it's okay if uh, you like living in suburbia, and I do. And I have a beautiful, beautiful view of a harbor. And on my morning walk, I'm on a little island and we have ducks and possums. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not rural, but it's not, uh, it's not the normal suburbia. So I started out as a French teacher after studying at the Sorbonne, and I'm bringing up French in sentence two because it's been so on my mind all year. But I was a French and Spanish teacher who had a travel project with my students. And I wrote a book for working moms in 86, because I was one, and got a um, book tour. And then I was hired by Ziploc to do 30 cities and go on a television and radio tour. And I always knew that I loved travel. And my husband was a sailor. And what I liked best was jumping off in the new destinations and browsing and exploring. But after that, those book tours, I knew that travel was what I wanted to do. And I pivoted uh, to become a travel writer and left teaching as soon as I could possibly afford it. (laughs) I had to assure my pension and my um, medical stuff, the little practical things that make life uh, secure. Thank heavens I did that. And I've been a travel writer for, uh, well, since I would say 1990 or so. So it's a long, it's a long career. And that's what I do. Wonderful. Carol, how about you? Well, like Gervina, I started out as a teacher, but I didn't last as long as she did. Uh, I started out as an English teacher. I was in the Peace Corps in the uh, Caribbean, and then I taught in Philadelphia, and then um, ended up in in journalism, you know, in my 30s on newspapers and kind of worked my way up. And when I moved to California, I got a job at Shape Magazine, so I was the uh, travel editor. I, I started their travel section. Uh, and was there for about 20 years and was also the travel editor 
of Living Fit, which was their magazine for women uh, 40 and over. And um, so I, I, um, I traveled, uh, I was pretty much on a different continent every, every month. I, I traveled pretty hard and fast and um, started doing quite a bit of freelancing as well. So I, I, I was writing a lot for Universal Press Syndicate. Um, my columns would go into like 120 newspapers across the country. So that was really, really fun. And then I started getting into books and I've written about um, 14 books, uh, several on travel, uh, several on food. And um, after I left Shape, we moved up to the uh, Eastern Sierra in California. So we live here all off the grid. Uh, Courtney, I apologize. That's probably why my sound isn't that clear. <laughs> um, and then I was with Travel Girl Magazine for about uh, 12 years as a senior editor and continued traveling and then um, continued freelancing. And, and uh, now I'm with you. <laughs> so that's pretty much it. I've, I've, written, for a, I've written for a lot of different uh, freelance markets. So, and Irvina has too, which she didn't mention. But um, Oh, I didn't mention that. I mentioned it another time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's about I think it's it. Both, it's so interesting that you both started out as teachers. Yeah, I know. Well, Irvine is a super teacher. I, I was a very reluctant teacher. I, I, I actually didn't like it very much. Well, I did something with my students that literally uh, segued into travel. I did a travel project with my kids and the brilliant, we pretended, they had to pretend to go visit a country that speaks the language they were studying. So that was either Spanish or French or for a while it was ESL. But uh, the kids would make their own uh, choices according to what language they were studying. But they had to go to the capital city to a resort, go to a birthday party, get to a museum, have a feast and, and write about it. And the slower kids did picture books with, uh, you know, they had, we didn't have computers in those days. They did, uh, we just photocopied and they'd write a sentence under it. But the very, very bright students, and I had many, did all of these exotic things about being a CIA agent or a top French fashion model or whatever. And really what they were doing, I learned later on, was what, what my career has been based on, which is first person experiential travel, except they were writing make-believe and mine is, you know, real, real. And, and as Carol says, I, I've written for dozens and dozens of magazines and I'm really a spy expert, which is what we're writing about these months for you. I've been to hundreds and hundreds of spas and it's, and spa life really taught me everything about aging and surviving my own teenage students and my own teenage children. And uh, you know, <laughs> that was another education of my life. But, so that's what I do. And how do you know each other? We met in the BVI on a, at, at a hotel. And Carol, who had her little shape budget, said, oh, I'm renting a car tomorrow. Why don't you come along <laughs> with me? And we went off island and we went into another island where I had sailed with my husband. And I knew it, not expertise, but I'd certainly been there a few times. And we spent a day going from place to place and doing our little research and had the greatest time together. 
And then, so we've always been in touch and I wrote for her a bit, but then we had a trip together in the central coast of California a few weeks, a few years yeah. ago. She met me there and we had a few days together. So it's not like we've seen each other more than twice in 25 years, <laughs> but, we, but we maintain a, uh, an email friendship and, a, and we talk yeah. uh, not often, but regularly through the years. Wow, that's interesting. It's amazing. So when the world came to a screeching halt, as it did for all of us last year, um, did you, uh, both of you have travel plans that you had to cancel? And if, if so, where were you going to go? Oh, I did. Carol, do you want to go first? No, go mine ahead. Is so, no, go ahead. so I came home from Spain and I wrote about it for Real Food Traveler, that Salaire de Can Roca article. Mm -hmm. I came home from Barcelona. On February 15th, I had that meal, which was one of the best in my life. <laughs> Flew to JFK on the 16th. And with the exception of two meals with one other person in February, I never left the house again. And I had rented an apartment in Cannes with my friend. We had rented one together for three weeks in Cannes uh, for 2019. And before we left France, we, and she knew the city very well. I had rented next door in another little town in 2018. But my friend, my childhood friend, Valerie, loves Cannes because she's a shopaholic. And so we had decided where we were going to rent, the buildings. We knew everything. And we had paid our down payment. And I would say mid-March, the flights uh, ended from Europe. And that week that the flights ended, I got a uh, refund from Verbo, VRBO, HomeAway. And they said that they canceled the apartment rental due to COVID. And I'm just going to take another minute. But I, first of all, I was obsessed with the tragedy, the pandemic, the numbers, the fear, all of that. Uh, my granddaughter had COVID. My daughter came back from Spain with me and she was sick. So I was really concerned about that. But I became obsessed with France. And I started writing about my first trip to the south of France. Then my first trip to Paris when I was 19 years old. And then I just got so involved that I started a memoir that I've been working on every day. So I, my body is not in France, but my brain has been in France. <laughs> it's almost a year now. And I'm talking about, well, you can ask me, but television. French uh, webinars, Duolingo French classes, cooking French. I'm telling you, my brain, finding old pictures and menus. I've, I've been there in my brain, so mm -hmm. I have been traveling. Well, in a way, that, that's therapeutic. That's probably good. I think it kept me going. Yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> I mean, awesome. It really did. <laughs> I, um, I don't have a, quite as dramatic a story as, as her, Aunt We hadn't really uh, solidified any any plans for the summer yet, but we, you know, we do a lot of traveling around the U S and, um, and, um, yeah, especially because we, we live in a pretty isolated, um, area. So we try to get out and do something, you know, we go, we do something every weekend, but then, you know, every month or so we try to get, get out of Dodge. And yeah, I really, I really felt, um, I felt pretty, uh, pretty closed in. I mean, where I live, we all live on a lot of acreage. So it's not like COVID was a problem up here. It wasn't like 
I couldn't just step out the door and go hiking or something like that. But in terms of traveling around California, which had pretty strict uh, COVID regulations right off the, the bat, um, even just things like going into Los Angeles became a real issue. I, I just didn't go anymore. Um, everything I did became Zoom. So we, um, my husband and I did manage to take uh, two um, road trips, which we really love. We went to uh, Great Basin National Park in Nevada for uh, you know about five days. And then we also went to the North Rim in the Grand Canyon, but we chose those vacations uh, specifically because we knew we could build in a lot of social distancing. And, um, <clears throat> you know, we were really careful about the hotels that we went to. We, we called ahead of time and made sure that, you know, they were up to, up to speed with their uh, social distancing regulations. So um, being able to take those two trips, the, fir the first one was in uh, early June. And then, uh, and no, I, I take it back. Um, we went to the, the North, yeah, the, the, we went to the, the, uh, the North Rim, we went in October, and then I take it back. We went to, um, we went to um, the Great Basin National Park um, a couple months before that. So we got out, okay. and that, that really was a breather for us. But, yeah, it's been hard. It's been hard being kind of stuck inside. Um, yeah. But we didn't have to cancel any huge plans yeah. like Irvina did with, with the villa. In Italy, in France, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was supposed to go on a cruise last April. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't know if I'd want to go on a cruise anytime soon. Yeah, yeah, we, um, I, I'm, I'm hesitant. Yeah, yeah, it just doesn't seem like there's any way they're going to be able to make it safe for a while. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how they're going to manage it on cruises because you're just so close to people and you're in this self-enclosed bubble you know, for a week <laughs> or longer. So. And I love river cruises and barge cruises, but I think, I don't think so. I'm crazy claustrophobic these yeah. days. Are you going to go when you can? Uh, Courtney? I'm going to, I'm going to wait a ways beyond when I can. Um, we, we've talked about going towards the end of the year. I, I mean, in some, some ways, I think the ships themselves, procedure-wise, they could be a very, very safe place to be. But because right. you've got people coming in from all over, literally all over the world, conceivably, and you don't know how good they've been about um, social distancing and wearing masks and stuff, um, that's the part that does make me nervous because there's there's really not much escape unless you just right. stay in your room all the time and then what's the point? So um, I'm that that's one thing I'm really anxious to do um, both a river cruise and a, an ocean cruise. Um, so I I will I will do it once I've had the vaccine probably and once um, some evidence of of trips that have happened already show that they've gotten things under control and you know that that they don't become breeding grounds but i i really really feel for the cruise industry and i know a lot of people in the industry and you know it's it's been so hard for so many people in all aspects of the travel world well you know if mm -hmm. i can pitch in here we live in a 
travel world. I once edited a bridal magazine and it was uh, like the three months before the magazine or two months, every single country and every single island that I had written about and visited either had an earthquake or, or a hurricane or this or that, you know, and the world of travel is always, you know, you have riots in this country and, and so it's always very precarious. But if I could put in my two cents for our listeners about the cruises, about cruises, there are so many wonderful small ship and barge and I mean, I once did uh, a cruise in in Alaska on the inner on the inland waterway. I think it's called, with seventeen people. I've done barge cruises with six and with twelve, and you can rent barges. There are so many play, kinds of yachts yeah. that you can rent and and stuff where you can go with your own bubble, and not not have to be face to face with people a from all over the world or b that you don't know who they are or where they party or if they, you know, it's, um, I think for the, for the time being going forward, I don't mean tomorrow, I mean going forward for, for a little bit, I would certainly look into the very small boat cruises where your risks are, are diminished uh, and, and, you know, do family reunions or three families together kind of things where you have your own little pod. Those are excellent suggestions. And I think a lot of people don't realize that there are all those options when, when you are somebody who loves to, to be on the water and, you know, loves the cruise concept. We have, my husband was a sailor. So we spent most of our family vacations chartering boats in the Caribbean, or even on my 50th birthday, we chartered a boat in San Diego and, uh, uh, sailboats always, but but I've been on his friend's, uh, you know, large motor yachts. But you, they're expensive. But if you're 12 people on a yacht in Greece, you know, you have to risk the captain maybe and the cook. But the 12 people, you know, uh, you add up your family and another person's family and you've got 12 people and you divide it by buy whatever, and you're not spending more than on a cruise, but just safety factor anywhere in the world. I mean, there are so many places where you can charter. So I would certainly consider yeah, Very that. good points, definitely. Um, so I'm curious to know what you two have missed the most about being able to travel. Oh, boy. Oh, so where I live, I have a deck outside and a yard and a little island to walk. So I'm, I when I talk about claustrophobia, I think of all the people in apartments who couldn't even go out in the hallways or worried about the elevator, or couldn't go down for the mail or to do their laundry downstairs, which to me is really uh, uh, a fear factor. But uh, what I've missed, it's so funny. Yesterday I was going online, I want foie gras. <laughs> I have been cooking and eating well, I have no complaints. and. And you know, I, whether I have a slice of pizza or a sandwich for dinner some <laughs> nights, or I cook something another night, I'm fine. But all of a sudden, I'm so busy reading and writing about these wonderful restaurants. And it's been so long. It's been a year since I've had a gast any kind of gastronomy, because I don't do takeout food and I cook all my meals and I'm a, I'm a simple cook. So yesterday I called the butcher, but they, they put me on hold so long I gave up. 
and I went online to D'Artagnan and I, you know, I want to, they have like two little lobes, two little slices of frozen foie gras. All I want to do is sear a little piece of foie gras and caramelize an apple in the pan. <laughs> I, I just have this yen, but that's, I'm not, it's like a pregnancy thing, you know, all of a sudden that's what I want. What about you, Carol? You want to hike? Yeah, something? you know, Tom and I were talking the other day about how much we just missed um, just going into restaurants and just, you know, I, I like Irvina, I do a lot of cooking as well. Um, not, I'm not uh, the gourmand that, that Irvina is. I'm much, much more simple, much more of a simple cook and a vegetarian. So I'm, I'm kind of on a whole different level than she is. But um, I, we just missed that, you know, being able to go into a, a restaurant and um, relax and, you know, talk and just kind of be someplace besides our own kitchen, have somebody wait on us. I mean, the whole ritual is really something we really miss. And um, because of where we live, we certainly don't have access to a lot of fancy gourmet restaurants. Most of the restaurants in the town an hour um, from us are pretty simple restaurants. But we even miss that. We even miss just going into a home-style diner and just, you know, having breakfast there. Just, you know, something simple. Even if it's something I could make at home or even if it's something I could make better at home, there's just something about, you know, being in a restaurant and being able to just completely let somebody else do all the work <laughs> and the dishes. That is, is really fun. And we really miss that a lot. So I hear you, Irvina. Totally, totally hear you about that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm, I miss in the simple experience of going out to a restaurant, which I know you can now, but I truthfully, I don't feel comfortable doing it unless it's an outdoor patio. And of course, it's been too cold to really do that. Irvina, I, I think I know the answer to this question from you, um, but, but go ahead and answer if you want. Um, what destination do you both find yourself longing to go to or return to as soon as this is over? Wow. <laughs> I've never been such a Francophile in my life. My friend Valerie and I, after we, uh, we, we haven't been able to book a new apartment, but there was this sale that she found online. I wish I could remember the name of it, but we bought a week, each of us, I think for 289 or something, we got a week's worth of hotel nights in Paris. And we were gonna try to rent uh, an apartment in Paris and stuff, which is crazy expensive. I mean, more, more than can. And so this was like, with tax, it was $314 for seven nights in Paris, and it's supposed to be in a four-star. So I figured if I lose $300, I lose $300. But I bought a week, and she bought a week. And we've decided we're going to do that, and we'll go to Versailles, or we'll go to Bordeaux, or I'll fly to Barcelona, you know, during the trip, you know. But we each have, so we have two weeks planned in Paris. Now, can't go to Paris in a hurry, even though we'll be vaccinated. Paris is still on lockdown. Portugal wow. is, I mean, they all are. I don't know. Uh, I just got a, a message from Spain and, you know, they're only allowed to go certain places at certain times. You have to, my friend Sandy, uh, who lives down near Marbella, if she doesn't have a doctor's appointment with a note that says it's a doctor's appointment, the fine is like 140 euros. 
which is $175. It's not a little thing. You know, you really, um, there. you know, we live in a country where we have this outrageous uh, outbreak because people don't pay attention to uh, masks and quarantines and all the rest. But in, in Europe, they, they're really, they've kept the numbers down by being very strict about it. So who knows, uh, we have a year after, I don't know, we have to make a date and then you still have a year after that to use the hotel. So I'm hoping we get to use it. But if not, it's $300 well spent <laughs> just to dream about Paris. Kind That's of a placeholder. That, yeah. that's how I think yeah. about it, you know? Um, I, I know you mentioned fragua and wanting to cook French things. So I'm, I'm curious, and, and you know, with Real Food Traveler, our pivot, since we can't talk about travel a lot, is that we've been running articles from various places, or I'm sorry, recipes from various places to encourage people to at least try to cook from the places that they'd like to go to, you know, some of, I have that experience of some of those flavors at home. So are, are you two doing that kind of thing? And if so, what are some of the things you've made that harken back to travels for you? Well, um, again, not as much as Irvina, cause she's the gourmet, the gourmet chef. Uh, <laughs> but, um, I, yeah, I, I, um, I, I think, um, one, one place that I went who's the food really, really amazed me was the, the Yucatan. And I mean, I live, I don't live that far from Mexico. So I've been there a, a lot of times, but the food um, in the Yucatan was something I, I was really astonished by just the comp complexity of spices and flavors and kind of, it's, it's kind of Mexican food with a European um, twist because the Yucatan was settled over the years by so many different European countries that the food kind of evolved become to become really complex and um so yeah i've been trying to to uh to work some of that into my home home style cooking using some of the spices that i actually brought back from there and we actually had a um a cooking class with a famous tv gourmet chef and uh where he just taught us how to make really really amazing tacos and tamales you know things that were just above anything you'd, you'd get in, in, a, in a Mexican restaurant here, or even in like Tijuana or, or Baja. It was just a whole different experience. So yeah. Now I know Ravina is Miss Gourmet Chef, so. <laughs> you know, you say Miss Gourmet Chef, but not, not so much, believe me, it's simpler and simpler. And, and the other thing is I have so much in my freezer that I have to just <laughs> eat. It's like, I, I go in blindly and pull something out. And today I, I, I literally threw it out because I defrosted it and then didn't eat it. So I just couldn't look at it. But I am in a mission tonight. I, I watch a, I watch a lot of cooking mm -hmm. shows. Shock Pepin's my favorite. But I love the America's Test Kitchen. And I follow a lot of their techniques. And I'm following their technique on chicken parts today. But I want to make a chicken Dijonaise. And uh, I just got a new jar of mustard, which is my M-A-I-L-L-E, which is not the mustard you want. You want Fayo, F-A-L-L-O-T, because Fayo grows the mustard seeds wow. in France. And unless I'm very mistaken, my uses mustard seeds mostly from Canada, even though it's a very French brand. Anyway, so I'm, I'm big on buying from the source and blah, 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 but you can't, you can't find it. 
and by the way, you, I haven't been in a grocery store since last February. I haven't <laughs> been, last week I went into the fish store where I was the only person there. I do occasionally now uh, do curbside where I found a market that shops for me and puts it in the back of my car for me and I give them my credit card. Yeah. But I have been nowhere. I'm an older person who does not want to die so fast. So I have not been until October when I literally drove up to Canyon Ranch and I wore my mask and my face shield and I saw nobody. And I did one yoga class where she was a teacher on that side of the room and me on the other side of the room. But, and there were like five tables in this fabulously enormous dining room. So I felt very safe there. And then I went, I don't know, did I write about it for you, uh, Courtney, uh, just in January, I went to the lodge at Woodlock, which was yeah. also very socially distant. And, you know, nobody comes into your hotel room and you eat quite alone and you, you semi-serve yourself. They give you your bottle of water. They bring you your plate covered. So I felt very safe in those places. But I have not been anywhere else. And, but tonight I'm making chicken Dijonez. I found the book that I, this memoir that I'm, that I've started uh, about a Francophile in France has different uh, chef things. So I've made Gougere, those little cheesy puffy things. And I tried to make that chocolate. It was in an article I wrote for you, Courtney, that chocolate molten lava cake. But I used, I think, Danielle Boulou or, or Jean-Georges mm -hmm. recipe. I've made that and I make, uh, I made a boeuf bourguignon this week. And I literally went through my wine cabinet and went to the, went to the computer to see how much each bottle cost because I never remember anything. So this one was $25, so I didn't use that one. This was $25, I didn't use that one. This one was $9.99. <laughs> that was the one I put in the boeuf bourguignon. So, uh, you know, it, it's, Carol calls it gourmet, but what I do do is cook very, very simply, but I add influences of um, chefs and places and not just in France, certainly uh, Spain and certainly uh, Portugal. I can't say that I can do what they do in Portugal, but I make a lot of clams, which they, clams and sausage kind of thing. I make a paella. I always have this, you know, anybody can make a paella. If you have a frozen chorizo in the freezer, which I always have. If you have chopped clams, which I always have, and I, I buy fresh clams, chicken and rice. And I always have saffron because that's what I buy in a market someplace and frozen peas. And it's really the way I make it anyway, which is, uh, you know, you just brown the sausage, add the chicken, throw in the rice, et cetera, and throw the shrimp and clams at the last minute is an easy, easy company or a Friday night or a Sunday supper. And, um, you know, with all the frozen ingredients that I keep in the house. So that's my kind of gourmet. And that's what I do. I do do a lot of cooking of foods that I've eaten in different places. I used to make onion soup with my students. Carol, did I send you the yeah, onion soup? Yeah, I'd love to have that one. Recipe? I'd love to make that, yeah. I'll send you that one. Right. We, we do that with boxed uh, chicken broth or boxed uh -huh. vegetable broth. Yeah, I'd love to make that. And you just saute an onion. 
You just have to have the bread and the cheese yeah. to broil on top and it's quite good. So, so I cook very, very simply, but I do use, I very much incorporate dishes from my travels in my home yeah. cooking. And Carol, I know you mentioned um, food from the Yucatan. Are there any other destinations that have inspired your cooking during this period? Uh, well, I, I really, I'm Italian and I, 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 I still remember the food in Italy with great fondness. I mean, just, it just, it, <laughs> my grandmother was uh, Sicilian right off the boat and I spent I, she pretty much raised me. I spent my summers with her. She taught me how to make homemade pasta. I still remember cutting the pasta and the homemade uh, pasta sauce with everything in it, but the kitchen sink and, and uh, ravioli and cannoli. She, she, made, she made everything from scratch. So uh, I kind of got a crash course in, in Italian cooking from a very young age. And, um, and that's really fun to try to duplicate. I haven't really tried to make my own homemade pasta, but um, Urbina, have you ever done that? I'd like to try it. I, yeah. No, I'm not. I, yeah, I don't okay. do those kinds of things. I don't make, like I use, a, I'll use a frozen puff pastry okay. dough. I was thinking yeah. of making an onion tart, but I would use a frozen pastry yeah. dough. I Well, no. ladies, I've been making pasta. <laughs> oh, so tell yeah, us tell about us, it, yeah. Courtney. It's, you have it's a messy ordeal. I, I have not gotten good at it. I have a, a pasta machine with a crank. And my husband, I, I, for a while there, I on Sunday nights, starting in the afternoon, I'd make pasta and I'd make um, bread. So I was being really ambitious. And the whole thing would take maybe three hours and there would be flour everywhere yep. <laughs> and it was a messy thing but I'll tell you there it does make a difference in taste yeah. there is something about um homemade pasta fresh pasta it just it does taste different it's subtle yeah. but it's it's a good thing so um I got better and better at it over time which also meant faster and less flour all over the place but I have not perfected it yet but um if you've got the equipment, if you've got one of those rollers, um, it, it, it's, it is pretty fun to do. Yeah. So I will say that. Yeah. Um, so I want to, I want some advice from you guys for um, our readers. When you go to travel, do you generally do a lot of research ahead of time or do you just kind of show up and wing it? Well, I'll sure. answer first. Sure. I'm so anal. I practically have a restaurant. If I, and I don't mean a fancy restaurant. I mean, like if I'm gonna, first I have to know what days and what times every museum is open because wherever you go in the world, this country they're closed on Monday, this country on Tuesday. Right. They close between 12 and three because they like to eat a nice leisurely lunch. I mean, it's, the world is very different from the United States if you're leaving the United States. But even if I'm in LA, I wanna know, you know, mm -hmm. when is Mocha open? When is this? And if I'm gonna be going to Mocha in the morning, let's say I'm in LA, or I wanna go to Pasadena, I, I was just looking at the Huntington Gardens. What a great place to go now during COVID. They're open yeah, if you have a reservation is. and it's yeah. so gorgeous. Well, I would, look up three different restaurants you know i would go in pasadena and i would find it and have a reservation i cancel reservations i never 
show anybody up, but I do cancel a day in advance or if I have to. But I am, I have to know when this is open, what is nearby. So I do my, I do my, you know, I, that's the teacher in me. I do my homework. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I agree. I, I don't um, <coughs> so much drill down as much as Irvina does with the restaurants, but I really want to know, um, you know, what's there to see in terms of, you know, museums and, and especially because um, I'm a real outdoor person, I really want to know what you can do, um, what you can see in terms of hiking or any kind of recreational activity. So we, 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 um, when we went, before we went to uh, north, the North Rim and the Grand Canyon, we did, we did a lot of research, not just on the Grand Canyon, but on the whole area, which had amazing, um, just amazing places that we'd never even heard of before, a place called uh, Coral Sands State Park, which is which was almost like a national park, which is beautiful pink sand. So we wanted to make sure that we could get in there and and hike that. It was almost like being it was almost like being in Morocco. The, the, the dunes were like huge, but everything was pink. So just stuff like that, just making sure, especially during COVID, making sure that you know what stuff is open and what stuff is closed, and if there's any special, you know conditions or if they have any kind of protocols built in that you have to be careful of. Like with uh, the North Room, we have a dog and she pretty much goes with us everywhere. So we wanted to take Chloe with us. And um, one of the stipulations of the of North Rim is you can't have a dog there unless it's a unless it's a um, service dog. So we didn't have time to, to get Chloe trained as a service dog, but I just bought a, a service dog vest online and stuck it on her. <laughs> just in case and nobody stopped us, nobody even asked us, but just little stuff like that. You have to, you kind of have to, you know, national parks, you have to know when they're, which ones are open, which ones are closed. Cause a lot of them are still closed. Exactly. It's yeah, true of everything. Focus, yeah. yeah, I kind of focus more on the activities than the food, but it is fun. You know, we did have to, to do some research on, not that we went into any restaurants, but we had to actually research about which ones were actually even doing takeout. Cause a lot of them weren't doing anything at all. So. When we were on the Central Coast, you went to, you did a hike. Of course, I'm the least athletic person, but you did a hike in a place I'd never heard of. But there's nothing like going to a place. Um, I, I remember driving to the Guggenheim Museum in Bilbao. And my husband, my late husband was a photographer and he took all these pictures. And I always wanted to go to the Guggenheim and we couldn't find a parking place and we couldn't find a parking place. And uh, finally, I, I just gave up and said this, you know, we, we gave up and we drove back home. So we weren't staying in Bilbao. You know that inside the Guggenheim Museum that day, that week, that month was an impressionist exhibit that I never saw because I didn't oh. do my homework and know that it was there. Uh -huh. Had I known that that was what the exhibit had been. And now I regret this, this happened 20 years ago, but I think most listeners will relate. Yeah, you know, you yeah. go to a place and you miss the most important thing there because right. you didn't do your research. And I've been in New York City seeing kids and they're on 53rd Street and Fifth Avenue and they're saying, where's the Metropolitan? And, and we missed it. And I say, listen, you're one block away from the Museum of Modern Art. 
yeah. go there, you know, but because they didn't do any research, they missed one and they were going to give up when something equally wonderful, had they known about it, they could have gotten to, you know, so, so I think that it's, it's sort of fun to Google and, and I look, we're writers and we've both yeah. written side books and contributed to them. So I buy them. I, you know, I buy yeah. them and I read them. Yeah, I think it's really important to plan ahead because I think, as Ravina says, you can you can miss a lot accidentally just because you just don't know about it. You don't know about and, it. And I, yeah, I've had the same experience of being someplace and being five feet from something wonderful that I just didn't know about. Right. And you miss it. Yeah. When we were at, when we were at, actually in um, Great Basin National Park, which has one of the darkest uh, night skies in the whole country, they were having, uh, we didn't even know that they were having night, um, they had astronomers out there with their huge high power telescopes. And if we would have, if I would have known that they were doing that, we would have stuck around an extra hour and done it, but we didn't know, so we left early. So, you know, yeah, yeah that would have been really amazing to see that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think sometimes if you don't plan some to some degree, you end up wasting a lot of time too. Yeah. We, years ago, we were in Paris and I'm more of a planner than my husband. He wants to be able to go with the flow a little bit more. And we lost a lot of time sitting in the metro station, trying to understand the map, trying to figure oh, out I where know. to go to get to this place we wanted to go. And um, so I think there has to be a balance of not being so rigid and scheduling that you can't throw throw caution to the wind and you know stop when you see an impromptu concert happening you know, in the park. Um, but it, it does save time and money to be able to, to plan and have an idea of where you want to go and what you want to see and the best way to approach it too. So I agree with that. Well, and in that regard, if you buy a ticket, I mean, you're talking Paris, which of course is one, but if you have a ticket, you buy a museum pass before you go home, you can use it whenever you want, but you don't wait online. You can spend an hour, I, I say you can, People can, because there's the place has, I mean, maybe for a vaccine, I'll wait online, but I don't wait online yeah. for things. I don't wait online for movies and that kind of stuff. But people wait online all over the place, all over the world, who, if they had just bought their museum pass online before they got there, could walk straight to the front of the line, like they have a Disney World, you know, mm -hmm. VIP pass. And, and the other thing about what you're saying, being serendipitous is, is not an equivalency about planning because nothing says that yeah. you have to do what you plan yeah, to do. Right. If something, if you feel, if it's raining, if you don't feel like going, I mean, I had a, a tour once planned for my granddaughter and I, and uh, she woke up and she said, grandma, I just feel like loafing yeah. this morning. Well, it was my desire to make this trip please her. And I said, forget about it. You're a kid. You'll go to that museum in the next 40 or 50 years. You'll get there again. You don't have to do it this morning. So, so being free to be serendipitous is part of the pleasure. But that's, that doesn't mean you shouldn't plan it. By the way, I always drive in countries, yeah, which yeah. I'm starting to <laughs> give up. But I always, I print out right. maps, even with a GPS because those damn GPSs don't tell you what's coming right. down the road. And I have to see it visually right. where I'm right. going first. 
and it, it helps me. So uh, you have to go with the way you learn yeah. too. And GPS, uh, can, um, I'm a visual. GPS can learner. be wrong. I we we used it once to try to get to the airport, and it led us deep into some residential neighborhood <laughs> very yeah. late at night, and we nearly missed our flight. So sometimes and it's just wrong. Yeah. Oh, I had one in Vermont, which took me over into a shortcut, but it was a shortcut over a mountain. And there was a reason why the road went north another nine miles and then south nine miles, because the mountain stopped and the road stopped and it was snowing and I was hysterical. <laughs> yeah, I need to, uh, I need to see it yeah. visually. <laughs> what are some of your other um, trips for, for travel, like with packing or anything else? Well, I have loads of things, but Carol, who is a size two and a half or a zero <laughs> or a minus, she can pack a whole week in a Caribbean in something that she throws on her shoulders. Yeah, I, uh, I I'm big on, yeah I'm really big on packing light and I think it's really worth investing in. Um, it's really worth investing in, you know, whether you go with Robbins or um, or Expedia, you know, I'm really big on the clothes that you can wash in the, in the sink of your bathroom and dry you know, just invest in a really cheap, um, you know, travel clothesline that you can just clip in the bathroom. I think, um, I think the minute you have to check luggage, you're, you're kind of adding an extra element of risk to your trip and an extra element of, of hassle. So yeah, I'm, I'm just, I think that's really important to just pack everything you can so you can take it on the plane, whether it's a, uh, whether it's a, just a small suitcase, or even if you're going to be doing a lot of outdoor stuff, a uh, a backpack that you can wear on your back. Um, and I, I uh, yeah, I, I highly recommend that. I, I, and I also would caution against packing anything. Don't take anything, especially to a foreign country or especially to a third world country. Don't take anything where there's any risk of, you know, you know, somebody, you know, it getting lost or somebody stealing it from your hotel room. I remember I had a really expensive, uh, necklace stolen from a hotel in Bermuda and uh, I was devastated and you just you just don't take anything that you can't replace you know even if it's a wedding ring buy something fake and wear it don't don't give anybody any reason to um, be tempted to to rob you because as an American abroad you're kind of a walking target anyway and especially in third world countries don't take anything expensive like I, I lost something I lost a really expensive watch, wristwatch when I was in um, Nepal, you know, staying in a hotel in Kathmandu. It just vanished. So just do that. Or if you can, dress as much as you can like a local. Like I remember I was on Phuket Island in Thailand. And what I did is I just traded clothes with the women so that I, I kind of, I couldn't pass for a local, but I just wanted myself to blend in as much as possible. So I ended up wearing their clothes and I still have some of their clothes I wear now. <laughs> Hmm. So Those are very interesting tips. Yeah. Irvina, yeah. how about you? What are what are like two or three that are good? Oh, I, anybody who reads the book that I'm going to be writing about, that I am writing about, I am guilty of just the opposite. And I, my first trip to France, and and it's it's sort of a sad story, but I I went and bought all these Gore-Tex bathing suits and cover-ups because I was planning a few days in Monte Carlo. So I dressed like the princess of God knows what. 
And here I rented the cheapest car in the universe, but I spent a fortune on clothes because I don't know. What it, I didn't know. <laughs> I mean, I was there's Monte Carlo in cutoffs. I look like um. <laughs> Right. No, 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 no. I was wearing long, beautiful things. Anyway, I flew into Monte Carlo in a helicopter <laughs> because it was the same price as a taxi. And I, it's a good story in the book. Anyway, I came out by train. You get into the train station anywhere, but especially in Nice, there still isn't an elevator. There still isn't an right, escalator. Right, right, yeah. And I had all this luggage that I could not carry up by myself. I couldn't carry it up the stairs. I was warned that there were pickpockets there. Here I am, you know, as she says, a target looking like the rich American. And I was, uh, you know, I, I had sold the book, the French rights of a book and I had, that's what paid for my trip. Anyway, I went to a grocery store and I got the biggest box I could find <laughs> to pack all my clothes because I was planning after five days in Nice taking a train up to Lyon and then to Paris. Well, this is all about France, I don't know why. Anyway, I had to send my clothes home Turns out that the box that I took from the grocery store, I didn't know it till I got it into my hotel room, smelled from hand. It had been one of those great big heavy duty cartons that they ship like four or five big hams in. So all these gorgeous new clothes stunk. And I couldn't, but I sent them home, they came home. I try very hard when I'm packing to consider train travel because I've lost a computer bag off a train, in a train of going up the steps. And you have to be able to right. carry your luggage. Whether And I go from New York to Washington sometimes. And it has to be a wheelie bag that's easy enough to get up the train And then into the plane. Yeah. And, ca and ca so I usually try to do one uh, wheelie bag and a carry-on uh, on my shoulder or a backpack. But I say I try, but uh, I don't always listen to my own advice. And I am always sorry. <laughs> and I always wear the same three yeah. things, black pants, blue jeans. If it's, if it's a summer, you know, if it's the Caribbean, instead of black pants, they're beige, you know. It's beige, white, and blue jeans instead of, you know, black and blue. And I, and I wear the same thing every day, but I carry much too much. I need all these different kinds of shoes. She doesn't need any of that stuff. Well, I, you know, I have yeah. another tip because, and this comes from personal experience. I think you should always carry um, carry a photocopy of your passport. Oh, I, yes. I was on the island of Cyprus and I lost my passport. I don't know what happened. I don't know if somebody stole it, but um, I was actually, I had to get home in a hurry for my father. My father was, I missed my father's funeral. He died because I, I lost my passport. I ended up um, in Rome for three days trying to get, they won't let me on a plane without a passport. It took me three days to get a passport because I didn't have a photocopy of my passport, which would have been such a stupid, simple thing to do. So- And your credit card. You need a photocopy and, yeah, and of your passport, your license, your cell phone. and your credit card. Yeah. Take a picture yeah. of it on your cell phone. You can do that these days. Um, or take a spare passport if you have one, or get a spare, just get a spare made and put it, put it someplace beside your handbag, because um, that that was just um, cost me not only a lot of money because I had to stay in hotels for three nights, but I missed my father's funeral. So 
There you go. Yeah. So if you do a photocopy, and I, I think you said this, but I couldn't hear you, where, where do you suggest you keep the photocopies of those important documents? Keep it on your person. You know, keep it on you in your clothing somewhere that a pickpocket can't find it. Just not in your and purse. I always, I always do two. And yeah. I leave one in the safe. I leave one in a safe if I have a right. room with a safe. Right. And I carry one with me. And it's just, I just do one piece of paper yeah. with my license, my credit card, and my thing on. The other thing when you're traveling, you never want to keep a key on you that has the name or the number yeah, of right. your room or the name of the hotel. And I oh I never go out of a hotel without a business card or the hotel card with the phone number of the hotel, the concierge or somebody, and my name on it, um, and my uh, cell phone because I always travel with a cell phone. There, are, I, I've gotten, I've left hotels and gone in a car. And you can't find your way back. Yeah. Well, yeah, you don't know. And you really, you need to have some person to call. Yeah. My um, car broke down. I'm not going to say where, because it was in these. <laughs> Again, my car broke down. And the guy who rescued me was the general manager of the hotel, who happened to live right near where I broke down serendipitously. Yeah. But there's nothing like being in a situation where you need the name of somebody. It's right. not enough to call Hertz or call Avis who, who could keep you on hold for an hour. You, you need the name of somebody that you can reach. And uh, look, travel comes with a lot of um, little challenges and unexpected things. And there are ways to minimize them. And be, being able to have your luggage and being able to be assured, a simple little thing. I always get money before I get there. I always change money and I keep money from one trip to another, whether it's in Mexico or Canada or the, you know, first of all, you get off the, you get off a plane and you want to put money in a cart, you need a coin. Uh, you, you might need to take a taxi and the taxi only wants cash. So you need that first 50 or hundred dollars in in cash. And what if you get to the hotel and your room isn't ready and you have to go someplace else? You know, I believe in cash. I believe in reservations. Um, and a tip I learned from my mother-in-law when I was maybe 20. In those days, there was no email, but she would make calls to Rome to the general manager of a hotel. And let me tell you, when you speak to somebody in a hotel, you don't have to be a travel writer. You don't have to be a right. VIP. You don't have to belong to Virtuoso. They know that you've gone out of their way yeah. and they will greet you or they will give you an upgrade. It is so worth the phone call. And in many countries, you have to call to confirm that reservation, whether it's a restaurant or a hotel on the day of, or the, they've given away my room because I didn't know that. Then you get to the hotel and the room's gone. Well, madame, you didn't call. And that's, you know, right. in many countries. That's wow. a really good I didn't tip. know that yeah. at all. Yeah. And, and by the way, European travelers never just go to the room that they suggest. I, this I learned traveling. If you're in a lobby with people from other European countries, for example, they put down their luggage. The guy comes out with the room and 
let me show you to the room. Well, I'd like to see yeah. it first. And they go and they may look at three rooms before they accept one, you know, which is different if you're doing it through booking.com or any of those things, because then you're just going to get the worst room anyway. But <clears throat> if you've called up to get a room or you do it directly with the hotel where you can, you're much more likely to get better, um, better results and a better room. And I use booking, by the way, all the time because I tend to, I book places and, and then I may cancel if I right. get a better hotel right. or something. That's a good mm. thing. Yeah, we always look at the room first, always. Even if it's just a chain hotel, it can make a huge difference. Just where the room, you know, if you get a room near the elevator, it's going to be noisy. And near the ice machine, you're going to be up all night with people, you know, getting right. ice. Uh, we always look at the room first. Yeah. Um, my last question for you both is, what is the value of travel to you uh, in, in your mind, both to you personally, but also what do you think the value of travel is in general to people? And why, just why is it so important? Well, yeah, can I go sure. first? I, I have to tell you it's family, mm -hmm. friends and travel yeah. in my life. You know, it, it's just, I, I'm not big on things. Uh, I, I can go places and never buy anything for anybody, including myself, although I have bought some things that I call wearable art. Uh, you know, I'll buy a scarf or something and remember where I've bought it. But it, it is so life enhancing. And it's, it, it's the difference between seeing the world mm -hmm. like with blinders yeah. on and only seeing the world as you see it in your city or country or state and seeing the world through other people's eyes. And when you see the history of, uh, of the world, I mean, when you go to a city like Jerusalem or Rome or, or, or Salamanca or someplace that, you know, these ancient places and, and you see the modern with the old, it's just, I don't know how life enhancing. Now, I mean, I also appreciate the beauty of cult. Uh, I, I don't necessarily hike more than two or four miles, but I do appreciate the beauty of places. But I'm very much um, involved in architecture and art and what people have done. And when you, when you see the accomplishments of, uh, of people around the world, first of all, you, it's hard to yeah. hate them. When you eat the foods that they love, it's hard to think badly of them. You know, I mean, it's so just in that point of view, but it's the people you meet when you travel. I, I've been places where I've met um, friends like Carol that I have for a lifetime, but, but just people from different cities and countries and they become part of your extended world. And you know, it's different when you know somebody when there's an earthquake in a certain place or when there's a hurricane or an epidemic or a shooting. It, it's, you're, you're connected. And I, I guess that's what travel means to me. That kind of world right. connection. Yeah. Beautifully said. Yeah, I think everything Ravina says, I completely agree with. I think, um, I've had the opportunity to actually live, you know, in other countries as a Peace Corps volunteer. And I think um, 
I'm reading now, I'm, I'm rereading two of Paul Thoreau's books, one, two of his most recent books. One is, um, one is on just his road trip all the way across the deep South. And then I just finished his book on um, traveling across Mexico. And um, th there's something about traveling, um, especially in, in third world countries. Um, I don't think Americans really uh, appreciate uh, everything that they have until they go to other countries and, and see the realities of how other people actually have to live on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and, and because Americans don't, most Americans don't speak, you know, a foreign language if they speak any, you know, if they speak any foreign language at all. You go to Europe and they, you know, these people just speak four or five, six different foreign languages. And, and they're, they're part of a, 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 a world community, much more so than Americans who tend to, to be just part of a very small regional locale and speak one language. But you, you just become a citizen of the world in, in a way that you... You never become if you just never leave the U.S. You, um, yeah, and like Irina says, when something happens abroad, you know, you, you're likely to know somebody in that country, whether it's an earthquake or a flood or a tsunami or, or uh, you know, a, a bombing. You know, it, 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 it's something you can, you can really relate to on a, on a personal level because you've been there and you've met the people and you understand the challenges that they're going through on a, on a daily basis. Um, so I think it just changes your whole worldview. It, it changes the way you relate to people. It changes your, your understanding of people. And yeah, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to, um, it's hard, it's hard to, it's hard to have any grievances with people when you've been to that country and you understand them on a person by person basis. So it's just, the, the politics goes out the window if, for me anyway. It just, it's, it's all about human beings and, and learning how much alike we really are, even though the differences in our lifestyles may be like enormous. So, yeah. But you know, Carol, I agree with all of that, but th there's also this, we Americans, you know, we think we have everything so great and then you get on a train and whether it's in Japan, you get on that high right. speed chain or in, in Portugal or any, you know, any kind of, and that, and, or, or you go on a bus and when you're standing at the bus thing, it says the bus will arrive in one minute, the bus to such and such will arrive That's, in three yeah. minutes, or you go on a train and it's on time and it gets you there at 300 miles per hour. Yeah, if it's and in you Switzerland. Go through an air terminal, <laughs> if it's in Mexico, so something else. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Th that's right. I mean, in some places in the world, they are so they I mean, they put us to shame with our right. dirty, our dirty airports and our, right. you know, flights right. that don't work and trains that that bumble along like it's 1902. So so it's also sort of a it's not, a, you know, I went to Europe for the first time when I was 19, which was a very long time ago. And at that time, oh my God, people thought America had it all. Yeah. Today, but it's really it's interesting yeah. to see how the yeah. rest of the world views it's the United flipped. States. Because right. it's not like we're the king of the hill anymore. 
you know, everybody used to want our dollars like crazy. Well, I, I think, you know, and I think you're right. Like, dollars. you know, I, I, when I was in Europe, I, I spent a couple months in Europe just with a Eurail pass and a backpack and basically slept on the train every night because I couldn't really afford hotels. And just the, the efficiency of the Swiss trains was, and the Austrian trains was just like a miracle to me. But then on the other hand, I did a trip on the Copper Canyon Railroad in rural Mexico and, you know, the train stops every five minutes and, you know, you're, you're riding along with chickens and goats and, you know, people are coming, getting on the train every five minutes to sell their homemade tamales. And that's the other extreme, you know, it was dirty. My husband got sicker than he's ever been right, in his life right. on that train. We ended up in some little rural village where the only doctor was a medic. And uh, he was like, you know, really, really ill. And we weren't sure he was going to make it. So there, you know, you just, it's just all over the place. It's like some countries, you know, have nothing. And then other countries are so far ahead of us. It's, it embarrasses me. Yeah, their airports are gorgeous. And, you know, you think back to JFK and you think, oh, my God, I'm never going to go in the airport again. It's horrible. <laughs> so, you know, on, on the flip side of, of how it makes you think about other places, I've found that travel has made me think differently about where I live, you know, because I, I just take for granted these things that I see and I've lived in Colorado my whole life. Um, but now when I travel and I come back, I look at Colorado with new eyes. I look at it through the lens of somebody visiting and, you know, what, what is impressive and what right. is interesting and what is shabby <laughs> and doesn't present well. And, um, and it also makes me want to explore where I live a little bit more through the lens of, of being a tourist, you know, playing, playing tourist where you live. So I think there's a, an interesting back and forth effect um, that happens of, with travel. Well, that, the best part of the, the pandemic kind of travel is that all the road trips and all the local to home trips that we're all doing. I mean, I, I get in the car and just take little day drives and stuff. And, and I finally got to walk a garden on an estate, you know, on Long Island's North Shore that I've wanted to walk for, I don't know how many years, maybe 30 years. You know, I'd heard about this place and never been. And I think, uh, you know, all of us ha have that. Right. I, I think I wrote a little piece about the, the rail trails around the United States. Uh, I walked a rail trail once in Bermuda years ago, and I've been fascinated by them ever since because they take these old railroad right. lines in certain places and they convert them to walking paths. And there was one upstate and then there's one here. And then I was doing the research and they're all, they're all around the country. The country. Yeah, they're everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And like, like you care, I, it takes me two hours to get to Manhattan usually when I drive. Now, where can you get to in two hours? Can you get to LA in how many hours? Um, if I drive really fast, I can get to LA in three hours. To Pasadena. Three hours. The tip of LA. Right. But in three hours from most people in the United yeah. States, I mean, I got to... I got to rural Pennsylvania in three right, hours, right. which was, uh, you know, which to me is sort of my limit because it's how far you can go before you have to go to the ladies' room. <laughs> kind of thing. How, how far can you travel before? So, um, but within three hours of most places right. in the United States, you can really get to some 
some really interesting places. Well, yeah, like three hours, three hours for me, I can go, I can be in the desert or I can be at the highest peak in, in the continental U.S. So I, I have a lot of geographic diversity, not so much the, right. the city diversity that you have, but we have. Oh, but I can be in the Catskill yeah. Mountains in yeah. three hours. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we can go skiing. You know, I can be in the Hamptons. I got up, I took a ferry across to New England and then it was two yeah. hours to get up to Lenox, Massachusetts, yeah. or then it's two hours to get to Boston. I really stuff. miss that. You know, yeah. um, uh, I'm going south. It's, uh, look, we live in a fantastic country. Yeah. I'm just. Um, and it's almost, the COVID's almost over. I think we're almost out of the woods. So it'll be exciting. To <laughs> I think people are going to jump on planes yeah. like crazy. Yeah, I, I was talking to me. somebody about that today. I think um, uh, apparently a lot of the airlines are, are hiring back people that they'd furloughed um, because demand is starting to go up as more and more people have um, get the vaccine. Of course, we still need to be careful because even when you have the vaccine and even when you've had COVID, you can still pass it on to somebody else. You just might not get sick. So right. I think masks and social right. distancing are going to be with us for a, a long time. Um, and that's okay. There, there are much worse things for us to have to deal with um, to keep us all healthy and to keep people we love from dying. So I'm certainly willing to make that uh, that minor, minor discomfort. I find I get a good deal of security just by wearing one of those plastic shields over my mm -hmm. mask. Now yeah. they talk, they talk yeah. about double masks. I do have a cloth mask that I put a filter mask inside of, but um, I, I, I love those little shields. I don't know why I feel that uh, if anybody's breathing or shouting or whatnot on me, it's not gonna get to, to my eyes or my face with with, with that. And, um, well, and I, I was at the grocery uh, store the other day wearing a face shield and people were looking at me and I thought, what do I care? What do I care if you're looking at me like I'm odd? Yeah. And in fact, as I told my kids, maybe we'll start a trend, you know, if more people are wearing um, a right. face mask and a face shield, um, it becomes more the norm and not an odd thing anymore. So really, right. I, I could be doing people a favor by by being bold enough to wear it. I mean, you know, what do I care? It's my life and that I'm trying to protect in other people's lives. So, And you're using the word bold enough. I mean, it's not like you're going right. bare-breasted. You're wearing a shield. You know, you don't need to be bold to take exactly. care of yourself. Uh, I, right. I, don't, I don't get it. I will say that I've been out very, very little, but what I see and hear from uh, family members, I mean, I have risked, my risk has been to see my children and stuff and, and each of them have very limited lives, but they have lives apart from me, you know? And uh, so that's my risk, or now I take the risk of having a cleaning woman come into the house once a month. But for the most part, I'm not out and about. But around here in New York, everybody wears a mask. And yeah. I saw somebody uh, not wearing a mask on a street. And it was like, and, and she looked at me, I looked at her and she said, well, I'm outside. You know, like, I don't right. care if you're outside. I, I find right. it very uncomfortable to walk past people on a street who are not wearing a mask. I don't know what it's like uh, where you guys live, but... Um, I, I, 
my my morning walks, I just walk to the other side of the street and I I wear a mask, you know, here and I pull it up and, and that's it. But I can walk every day and not see another person. So it's not like I'm on a busy street, you know. It's just a period of time that I hope yeah, will pass soon. Definitely. Well, this, this has been wonderful and very, very interesting. I know I've learned a lot. Your tips were amazing. There, there were some things in there that I had never even thought of. So I'm going to be sure to include that in the article. We always have an article that accompanies the podcast. And in that, I'm going to include some of these tips, as well as the links to a, a few of your individual articles that you've written for Real Food Traveler, but also you've done two so far of a three-part series on spas across the country that are practicing really good social distancing and cleanliness and, and health protocols. So I'll include those two. And I'm also going to include your social media handles and websites if you have them so that people can read more about you and read more about your writing and, and adventures. So thank you both so much for joining me today. This was a lot of fun. It was it was great to just hear the banter between the two of you who've known each other so long and and lovely for me to be able to to hear both of your voices and, and be able to talk to you in this way. So thank you so much for being part of the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you, Courtney. It's really fun. And thanks to Carol that who introduced <laughs> me right. to you, Courtney. So I I have that. That's that's how I got to you. And it's such a delight for me to be able to contribute these dreams. Dreams yeah, to come. Our fantasy travel. <laughs> yep. Travel <laughs> dreaming is what it's all about. And I'm honored to have both of you, your articles on the site so much. So um, to, to both of you and to everybody listening, please keep wearing your masks. Um, please take care, stay safe, and let's keep our travel dreams alive. Thanks so much. Take care. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye-bye.